What is up, everybody, and how's it going? I'm Alex Goldstick, and you are listening to the Spring Forward Podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Jadar Johnson, a former safety, captain, and national champion with the Clemson Tigers. We are recording on Monday, March 19th, and while there's not much to take care of on the housekeeping front, remember to stay tuned to the Spring League social media accounts and website tomorrow for the release of the full rosters of players participating in Austin. The Spring League's 2018 season kicks off in less than two weeks. Now, without further ado, let's get to our interview with Jadar. Now joining us on Spring Forward is Jadar Johnson. He's a former safety and captain out of Clemson who registered 106 tackles, 9 interceptions, and 12 pass breakups over 54 collegiate games. He started in every game his senior year, which ended with a memorable national championship victory, when Clemson downed Alabama 35-31 to on a last-second touchdown pass from Deshaun Watson to Hunter Renfro to cap off the 2016 college football season. Jadar spent a brief period with the New York Giants after going undrafted, but abruptly retired less than a week into his professional career. He will be returning to the field with the Spring League later this month in Austin to get his career back on track. Jadar, welcome to the pod. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Appreciate y'all having me. So, so let's jump right into your time with the Giants. Um, you know, after going undrafted, you signed with the Giants, but literally three days into your first NFL training camp, you retired. And your agent, Trey Robinson, released a statement that said, after seriously weighing his options, Jadar has decided to retire from football today to pursue other interests. This was not an easy decision for him to make, but it is the right decision for him. He has, an, he has new ventures that he wants to pursue, and he values his health. Jadar is very grateful to the Giants organization for the opportunity they provided him. So I know you've spoken some to the local Clemson media about this, but can you just tell us what went into the decision um, and what's different now, less than a year after you retired before your rookie year even began? Okay, with the whole decision that I made, it was basically just the best decision that I had to make for me. It didn't have anything to do with what was going on up there. Everything was going fine. I felt like I was playing fine, practicing fine. But just as far as the things that I had going on off the field, I felt like, it was better for me to just take a step away from the game at the time and do what I needed to do to prepare myself mentally to get back into all that. So, you know, in, in, that, in that article I read, I mean, I think you talked a lot about sort of mental health, mental health issues, getting yourself uh, back in the right state of mind to to succeed as a professional football player. And, you know, mental health has sort of always been viewed as this taboo issue for athletes to talk about. Um, and that wall seems to be breaking down a little bit now, uh, you know, especially in the NBA. Very recently, we've heard stories of superstars like DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love, you know, come out and talk about their own mental health struggles. Uh, why do you think now more and more of these revelations are coming out in the professional athlete community? Um, I think it's coming out more now just because we're tired of holding it in. You know, we get perceived as, the, as these tough guys and people don't like us to really come out of that shell and really talk about what we go through outside of the sport because that's all they view us as. If someone's playing basketball in the NBA, you see them on TV playing ball all the time, so that's what you look at them as, as a basketball player. And you forget the, and you forget the fact that they're still human and they still go through things that other people go through. So I think that, you know, it's we're just tired of going through that and people are starting to explode. We've seen some stories with players committing suicide. It's just getting to a point now where it's time for athletes to stand up for ourselves and actually, you know, just make it aware to people that we go through everyday struggles, just like the normal person, you know, working a nine to five job, just because we're playing ball on TV or playing sports on TV. 
you know, we're not excluded from that stuff that happens in life. So, I mean, the, the, the two superstars I mentioned were, were both in the NBA, which is, you know, it's obviously not a sport that has had to deal with the um, mental health impact that football has. Do you think we can expect right. more of this um, discussion to come out of the football world, or do you think it still exists in there where, you know, we're talking about concussions so frequently and maybe how that ties into mental health? Um, I can't really call it, but, I mean, I think it should. I think it should definitely be something that we talk about more and that we take more serious because it's definitely happening. And it's it's something that we can't just keep looking over. It's happening and, and we need to get down to the solution of it just so we can stop that. And so we can just, we can help people get through that. And if it's not really on the rise of getting to that point where everyone is aware of it and everybody is thinking about it, I, I want to try to be that spark and I want people to look at my story and, you know, especially the kids that's younger than me that's going through the sport and that's getting older and going up the levels in the game because I, I don't want them to go through anything that I was going through at that time because when I was up in New Jersey, the feeling that I had with all that stuff going on, I don't want that feeling to happen to anyone else. So if I can do anything to prevent it, I will. And the start of that is me just getting my story out there, letting people know that, Hey, I was going through some things. I had a tough guy role too. I tried to play tough and I didn't want to talk about it to anyone. I tried to keep it in and I just exploded. So I want people to look at that and look at what I'm doing now, having the strength to actually come out and talk about it and actually tell my story. And I want them to look at that and just kind of, you know, use me as a guide. Like, yeah, all right, I seen him do it so I can come out and actually talk about this stuff and not just let it eat me alive. So eventually I feel like it will come to that point where it's a it's a a bigger topic than what it is right now and more people will look at it and more people will take it serious. Yeah, I think that's an, an extremely admirable stance. Um and, you know, mental health is something that, that for sure needs to be talked about, whether it is, you know, like you said, some someone leading a quote-unquote normal life or, or someone trying to make it at, at the highest level of athletics. But, um, you know, since last summer when you were with the Giants to today where, you know, you're a couple weeks away from stepping back on a football field in the spring league, um, what are some steps on a personal level that you've been, you've been doing to seek treatment for what's been ailing you? The first thing I did was I, when I came back home, I just needed to talk. That was my biggest thing because I had done spent so much time holding it in, holding everything in. And I felt like it was just a relief once I got all of that stuff off my chest. I came back. I talked to my parents. That was the first step. I ended up getting some professional help, too, with uh, Milt Louder, man. I, I, I want to shout him out because I can't thank him enough because he really went out of his way to give me a few sessions just so he could, you know, help me with what I was going through. And... At first, I was kind of ashamed of that. I was thinking, like, I don't need to go see no counselor. There's nothing wrong with me. But once I I took that factor into myself, like, hey, you need some help. So I went to him, and, and it worked out the best for me. So that was just my main thing, really just talking and getting that stuff off, off my mind. And once it got to that point where I felt comfortable talking and actually just having my problems out there on Front Street, I just became a happier person. And that that's what that that was really the start of it. I became happier, and I was like, okay, now I see that football wasn't my problem because initially that's what I tried to do. I tried to point my finger at football like this is the problem. This is why I'm stressing out like this. This is why I'm thinking crazy. But it wasn't football. That's just what was in front of me at the time. So 
I, instead of being a man and just taking action for what I was going through, I pointed my finger at football. As soon as I stepped away from the game, I realized that that wasn't the case. It, was, it wasn't that I lost passion for the game. It was just that I was going through some things and I kept it in. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's really all it is, just, just talking. And once I talked, I got right back into it. I probably only took like maybe two weeks off when I, of working out when I first got back. And that's all the time I needed to really get back right mentally. And just having that all that time away from the game, you know, yeah, I missed it, but I still feel like I needed that because like I said, it made me a happier person. Right now I haven't been I haven't been this happy in a long time. So I don't regret my decision at all for leaving, even though I know it's gonna be harder to get back there. I feel like I'm I'm built for it now just because I'm mentally stronger and I'm I'm ready to go through anything that I could possibly go through to have to get back there. So so bringing that back to the football field, you know, as an undrafted free agent, uh, you're always working hard to prove that you belong in the NFL. Uh, you know, right. given given the past year and what you've dealt with, you know, you're also going to have to show that you're mentally committed to the game, especially to the scouts that are going to be on site. So I mean, how do you plan on doing that? And, and does that add extra pressure um, to you going into the spring league? No, nah, it doesn't add any, any extra pressure just because, I'm used to that as far as the football process. When I came out of high school, I wasn't highly ranked, so I had to work my way up. Even when I got to Clemson, I had to work my way up. Like, I know um, everyone talks about it like, man, he didn't start until his senior season. But, yeah, that was just a part of my journey. That was a part of my my process of having to work myself up and actually prove to people that I could actually play on that level. So I knew I would have to do the same thing again once I got to the NFL and – I mean, that's going to be my case right now. Like, I'm going to have to prove to everyone that I belong there and that I can mentally, you know, be strong enough to deal with on-the-field on stuff and off-the-field stuff. And I'm willing to do that. And just like I was talking about a few minutes ago, it all goes back to communication. I mean, once I get that chance to sit down in front of teams and actually talk to them and show them that, yeah, I'm ready to deal with this stuff now. I'm more mature now. I've had some help. I did what I, I did what I needed to do to get back mentally tough, and I'm still the same player that that I was when I came out of college. Like I said, I only took like two weeks off. I still was studying film and all that. So I mean, it'll basically just be it'll have to be me talking to them with confidence, though, so they can actually see see it in my eyes. Like, yeah, okay, I, I feel like he's ready. And I mean, I'm pretty sure a couple teams are still probably scared away from that, and I can't really blame them for that. But I'm pretty sure there'd be some teams out there also like, okay, yeah, I see it in his eyes. I'm willing to give this kid a chance. And that's that's really kind of all I'm hoping for. Yeah, so we'll talk about your senior season in a minute because you balled and, you know, obviously it ended in a, in a national championship. But tell us how you came across the Spring League and ultimately got accepted to participate. Uh, I heard about the Spring League first from my mom. You know, my mom is a real big sports fan, and she's on the Internet a lot, and she kind of came across it, and she mentioned it to me. But um, I, at first, I really didn't think much of it. But I thought it was something that, uh, honestly, I don't know what I thought about it. It's just, I don't know, I guess it's kind of that thing just coming from my mom. Like, oh, my mom, she don't know what she's talking about. It's just my mom. She's just throwing stuff out there. You know, kind of how sons just want to be rebellious to their mom sometimes. But uh, when she mentioned it to me, you know, I kind of just was like, okay, yeah, spring late, and kind of just brushed it off a little bit. But then... um. I saw where they said Johnny Manziel was participating in the spring league. And that 
caught my attention some more. So I'm like, okay, maybe I need to look into this for real, see what my mom was talking about. So I ended up searching it and I seen um, some things about it. I seen the whole background of it, the information of it. And I thought to myself like, hey, this could be a good opportunity to get back on the field because a lot of a lot of scouts want to see, hey, you need some film. We can't keep going off your college film. You know, you just missed the whole year of football. We want to see you get back on the field, and we want to see some film from you, see if you can still play ball. And I felt like, wow, this is just like a sign from God. Boom, spring league. So I just I went full-fledged into trying to get into the spring league, and I was so happy when I finally, you know, got accepted into it. And I was just like, man, it's a blessing. So I'm really just ready to get out there and show everyone what I can do. Well, you know, big ups to mom for the referral. Um, but, you know, this, the Spring League was, was created to provide second chances to elite football players like yourself that are trying to get back into the league or, or to that elite professional level. Um, you know, what does having that opportunity mean to you or, or to guys like you in your position? It means a lot to me just because, you know, sometimes you you need that extra help. You need that 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 thing on the side to where people can come and watch you, kind of like the D-League with NBA that's exactly what I compare it to. And even like the all-star games is coming out of college to get into the NFL. I feel like it's an addition on to that because, you know, with all the people and all the talent in the pool of guys that's trying to get into the NFL, you know, some guys get overlooked or some guys just, you know, need a second opportunity because sometimes the first opportunity doesn't go the way that they want it to. And with this league being here, it's just like, okay, for the guys who felt like, they need that that second chance for the guys who felt like, hey, I just got overlooked by this much, and I, I know I can show guys that I can actually play in this league, and I feel like this is why the spring league is here, and that's big, man. And like I can't I can't thank them enough for allowing me to actually participate in this because I don't know what my plan would be if I didn't have it because I don't, I don't know how else I would get filmed without being able to get back on the field, so. I just want to give big props to the spring league because this is something that I feel like is definitely needed. For sure, and and we don't and we don't know how that story will end yet, but uh, you know we're we're hoping for the best for you. We talk, you know we talked about mental health earlier, but something else that that I came across when when researching for our conversation uh, that you've had to overcome in your life was walking, actually walking. Um, and I read that you didn't walk until you were 20 months old, and some scouts actually said that your back pedal was weirdly pigeon toed, which is obviously something that D backs have to do a lot. Uh, talk to me about overcoming the physical setbacks you may you may have had in those areas in your life. Yeah, when um, I was born, I was badly pigeon-toed when I was born. Like People can still see it now in my back pedal, but it was worse when I was a child. Like I, I mean, I would literally try to stand up and take a step and just trip up over myself. And my mom actually had the bodies, like some white shoes, I don't know the name of them. But they they wouldn't they have no style to them. They were some ugly shoes, some hard shoes, and I had to wear them for a long time. It kind of helped straighten out my feet. But I just feel like that just characterizes me as a person. Like that's who I was when I was born. I was always someone who was just tough and strong and, and fought through things. No matter what was thrown at me, I found a way to get through it or to make it a better situation. So I mean. 
I feel like that's just me, and that's me to this day. I, I'm willing to fight through anything that I have to fight through to get to wherever I need to be. And, I mean, the backpedal's been working for me for a, for a few years. Even when I look at it myself, like, sometimes I go back on film and watch myself, and I can see where everybody see, and it does look a little funny, but, I mean, it doesn't hinder me in any way just because I've been doing it for so long and I'm used to doing it. And, you know, putting putting normal people like me to shame forever since, you know, I... <laughs> I, I I got two normal feet and I'm not I didn't make it anywhere near college football, um, but now onto the on, onto the fun stuff now. So uh, you know in in your se- in your senior season, um, you you obviously won the national championship and you were one of six permanent team captains. Um, you tell us how the team decides who their captains are and and what it meant uh, for you to be made a captain of a team that went on to win it all. All right, to become a captain. The team votes on it. Well, first, it's like we narrow it down to a list of people. That's kind of just the collective. Okay, these guys we feel like can be leaders, so we're going to let the team vote out of these guys. And for me to even make it into that pool, I was like, oh, man, that's good. Because just from where I started from when I first came as a freshman, I was, you know, childish. Just, just you know that that freshman syndrome that some of us get, and I came I came to school with that mindset. So from going to that transition into being a potential captain, you know that just made my day. But you know the, the team voted on it, and I ended up becoming a captain, and it just meant everything to me. Just because, like I said, where I started from when I first came in, I knew how my mindset was, and just to see the growth over those few those four years. And I want to give a big shout out to Coach Sweeney too because he promised me and my parents that that's what he was going to do. And it wasn't just the football aspect of it; it was just on the field and off the field. Me become from going to a boy transition into a man. So me getting that captain position, it just it meant everything to me. That was really the, the biggest accomplishment individually I did as a football player was to become a captain. And I've always been a quiet person, so I never really talked a lot. And so to get that captain position, that mean that, you know, I actually came out of that shell. I came out of that, that comfort zone. I got myself uncomfortable so I could help the team out. So that was real big for me. And one of those six captains that I mentioned was Deshaun Watson, who had quite the roller coaster rookie year in the NFL. Um, you know, the highest of the highs, and then unfortunately ended with a brutal knee injury. Uh, you know, what's it like to see someone as close as you are to him succeed at the NFL level? Um, and maybe contribute to the inspiration behind your own comeback story. Oh, yeah. I, I loved it, man. Just to see Deshaun ball like that. And I expected it to happen just because I've seen him practice all the time, seen him play all the time. So I knew he was fully ready for the NFL. And it just makes me so proud knowing that that's one of my brothers that I've worked out with every day, practiced with every day, bonded with every day. And, you know, I just, I'm real happy for him. And he definitely gives me inspiration to get back into the NFL just because I'm like, hey, this is one of the guys that, that I struggled with for the four years, you know, waking up at five in the morning, having to work out. This was one of the guys I grinded with. And I see him doing it. So it just reminds me like, hey, you can be there too. You can be up on that level, showing everyone that you can play ball at a high level too. So big shout out to Deshaun, man, because he's an inspiration to guys whether he knows it or not, you know, somebody's always looking up. So, so yeah, for sure. And, you know, in your se- in your senior season, you made first team all ACC. You started 15 games in that season, got 65 tackles, five picks, seven pass breakups. 
Obviously, Clemson has a deep and talented defense, but where did the surge of big numbers come from in your final college football season? It was just, it was a buildup from me just working from my freshman year up until my senior year, I feel like. Because when I first came in, you know, I really started raw. I didn't know anything about film. I didn't know really anything about the safety position. I actually came in as a cornerback. I was like 178 when I first got to college. But I gained so much weight when I first got there, so I went to safety. So it was like starting all the way over for me. And I, I felt like I always had that the physical ability to go out there and play at a high level, but my knowledge wasn't there yet. So it was me just really getting the knowledge that I needed to get and put it with the physical aspect of the game. And I finally just got it all to crumble together or just come together and build something nice in my senior season. So I, I really think that's why I took off like that my senior year, just because of all the work that I put in in the previous years and just building on, building on, building on to become the complete player that I could become. So I, I hope I'm not blowing up your spot with this last question, but I got it off the Clemson website, so I'm assuming people in Clemson know. But it, it says on your athlete profile that you notched your fifth interception of the season in the opening quarter of the win over South Carolina, a big moment for the senior who grew up a Gamecocks fan. So how did you make the decision to go to your, your rivals in Clemson? And do you think the athletic department was having some fun making sure everyone knows which side you picked? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I grew up 30 minutes down the road from Carolina. So that was the college that I saw at the time. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is the school I want to go to. And I used to watch them on TV all the time. But when it was time for the recruiting process, they just, they wasn't feeling me like that. I remember talking to the coach and they was telling me like, you know, you look all right, but you look kind of slow on film. And they wanted me to come that summer to the football camp and run a 40 for them, like in front of them. And they told me if I would have ran at least a four or five, then they offered me. I was just like, man, I don't really have time to wait on that because I was trying to go into school early. So I already wanted to know what school I was going to before I even entered my senior season. And they were just, you know, playing with me a little too much. And Clemson gave me the offer. So, I mean, I really didn't have any interest in Clemson at all, but I ended up taking a visit there. And I just fell in love with the whole environment, fell in love with the staff, fell in love with what they was doing with the program. And I just knew that was the right place for me. So, I mean, once I made the decision, I just forgot all about Carolina. I forgot all about that. Like, I didn't even care about it no more. I instantly just joined the family. My whole family ended up becoming Clemson fans, and it's been a, it's been history ever since. Uh, it's fairly obvious you made the right decision. I think uh, any sports fan listening to this knows that South Carolina doesn't have a college football national championship. Um, but on Clemson's way to the national championship, you force fumbles in both the semifinal against Ohio State and the national championship against Alabama. Uh, after having the kind of season that you did your senior year, was there anything different about those big games that led to you know huge moments or just another game opportunity to ball out? Just another game opportunity to ball out, man. And, I mean, I really just feel like it's, it's the culture and it's what they instill in us at Clemson. You know, Coach Sweeney always has that, that – he always has that rear view mentality, that windshield mentality. You don't look in the rearview mirror, just look at what's ahead of you. So once we passed the game, it was just on to the next game. We was just worrying about that team. And it was just always, we're never facing another opponent. We're always facing Clemson. So we were always worrying about Clemson. We never really worried about other teams. And I feel like that that culture that he instilled in us, it just it made us better as players. So when I came into a big game, 
you know, that was really just for the fans and stuff to, like, hype the game up. But for the players, we just look at it like, hey, somebody's standing across the field and we're going to do what we got to do to win this game. So uh, none of that really played in the factor until, until like, what we did on the field. It was just all motivation from what we know we could do, what our plan was, and what our coaches taught us. So you 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 have the rare um, achievement of making back-to-back national championships while you were on the team. Clemson again made the college football playoff this year. Um, you know your first year not in school. Um, but what what is it about Coach Sweeney's mindset or approach to the college game that that has put the Tigers on the top of the college football world so consistently as of late? Um, I really, I think it's simple, man. It's just him wanting to do the right things. That's that's his main thing. Like before he thinks about being the best football team, before he thinks about going down and trying to get to the playoffs or get to the national championship, it's just always about being a good program, being a clean program, doing things the right way. And I mean, I feel like that's just the spark to us doing what we do on the field. So, man, I don't know. I I can't give I can't give enough praise to Coach Sweeney and the things that he taught us. And the things that he has this program doing, you, you you can just see the changes from when he jumped in as head coach. We've been going north ever since, and I appreciate that from him. So, I mean, if I had to point out that one thing, it would be that just helping the program become clean and be a, a, be a good program and everything on the field to take care of itself. After the national championship, which was ultimately your last college game, uh, you gave a speech to a, an almost full Memorial Stadium in Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, and told the whole crowd how nervous you were before you started talking. So what's worse, waiting to kick off the national championship or public speaking to a full stadium? Oh, definitely public speaking in front of all those people, man. You know, the football, that's that's nothing. I've been doing that since I was like three years old. But actually getting up there and having to talk in front of all those people, especially when you didn't know you had to talk, because I asked before we even started the whole parade, I'm like, are they picking people to talk or are they making like, the whole senior class talk. And it was like, oh, nah, you good, man. You don't have to talk. Because they know I don't talk a lot. I always been a quiet person. So I'm up there chilling. They just call my name. And I'm like, whoa. Y'all really going to throw me on the spot like that? So that was way more nerve-wracking than, you know, just starting off the uh the college national championship. Because that just felt like another game to me. I was just ready to ball. But I was not ready to talk that day. <laughs> and how about podcasts? You feeling good now? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good now, man. Just it's it's your spirit, though. You know, you make me feel warm. You make me feel welcome. So I feel comfortable talking to you. All right. Well, that's all I got for sure. For sure, appreciate the feedback. And um, you know, also as we say at the end of every interview, uh, especially before the spring league starts, you know, can't wait for spring. We might have to come up with a new tagline in a couple of weeks, though, when we're we're in the middle of the spring league, and then when we get to the end. <laughs> all right. Yeah, man. Can't wait for spring. Definitely. That will bring us to the end of episode four of Spring Forward. Thank you to Jadar Johnson for the time, and we wish him the best of luck on his return to the football field at the Spring League. Tickets for two doubleheaders that each Spring League team will play at the Kelly Reeves Athletic Complex in Austin, Texas, are now on sale. The first games will take place on Saturday, April 7th, and the second set will be on Thursday, April 12th. You can buy tickets at thespringleague.com. The Spring League can be found on all social media platforms at The Spring League, and you can find me on Twitter at AGStick and Instagram at ThisIsMyOtherIG. All music was provided to Spring Forward by Joshua Rosner.
We're looking forward to bringing you many more stories from the Spring League soon. Later. Later.